Jade from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. Hey, Darren, how you doing? How you doing, John? How you doing there, birthday boy? Oh, yeah. It's my birthday. Yeah. It's your birthday. Hey, oppa. It's a big one. New decade. New decade. I'm, I'm, I am 50. Yeah. I'm not technically 50 yet. We're recording this on the last day of my 40s, but it's, it's weird. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to take it still. I've known this one's coming for a while. Um, if it were up to me, I would not have this birthday. I would just, Uh, you know, put a hold on the whole birthday thing for a few (laughs) years, but I was not consulted. If it was up to you, but let's put a pause on that aging another year thing. Let's just well, I mean, I really feel like nobody should be aging up from like say 2020 on. I mean, I I feel like we haven't quite gotten back into the groove of things yet. So no, no, we have not, not at all. Things have been topsy turvy, you know, higgledy piggledy. I'm broadcasting out of a closet. Nothing's been right. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I feel like we should just take a mulligan on the last couple of years, and, uh... Indeed. Yeah, this is, this is weird, yeah. But, like, yeah. dude, Vic Five O nickels Nickel Donut, how, how are you gonna celebrate? You gonna go out to, to Vegas and, you know, gamble and, uh, you know, uh, hook up with some, uh, women of the evening? You're gonna skydiving, you know, sw- swim with the sharks, something wild and crazy? You gonna gonna you know motorcycle jump off of you know a cliff over some school buses like what's what do you got planned there fella have you met me because <laughs> i'm from that those yeah none no none of those none of those <laughs> wait are you not evil knievel wait who am i broadcasting <laughs> i am not i am not i would thought i would have thought that you would have picked up on that sometime over the last four or five years but no not evil knievel I did. Oh. I did. When I was a kid, though, I was a, a fan of Evil Knievel because, you know, like, I was a kid growing up in the in the late seventies, mm-hmm. and I remember, like, for a few years there, I really, really wanted to dress up as Evil Knievel for Halloween, Ooh. and I believe my mom like would buy the jumpsuits, and they, these were like you know the old Ben Cooper type Halloween costumes where it was like a plastic jumpsuit yeah and i think i was outgrowing them every time i think my mom tried to buy evil knievel jumpsuits for me like at least two or three years but i always was outgrowing them so i don't think i ever actually dressed up as evil knievel for halloween well john yeah. now i know what to get you for your birthday this yeah, year Yeah, this what? is my year this what is my year <laughs> keep an eye out for your mail good in the mail good sir you. But you know, you can't be a daredevil at fifty. <laughs> it's why not? You can do whatever you want. Get, being a daredevil at fifty—that's like getting up from the couch, and, and <laughs> you know, you don't you don't sprain anything. Like uh, like a last weekend, I helped out a friend of mine. Uh, she was packing up uh, somebody for a move, and I helped out with with that. And oh, the next day, oh, I was feeling it. <laughs> I was feeling it. Just icing all the joints. Right, you know, soaking in the tub, slathering myself in Bengay, doing all that. Getting older, it is it is not for the faint of heart. 
Um, no, I yeah, I agree. Like about t- five years ago, my knees just gave out, and like now it's a thing where, like when I'm sitting on the couch, I really have to decide if it's worth getting up to you know, yeah. uh, you know, get a drink. I mean, use the bathroom. The bathroom will always win out, but yeah. like you know, if I like if I see the remote on the other end of the living room, I'm like, oh, do I have to? I can watch this. This is good. This is fun. (laughs) What, the National Geographic? Perfect. All right. Sure. Why not? Um, Yeah. So uh, to answer your earlier question, I'm just going to do like sort of a quiet uh, get together thing Mm. with some friends and stuff. I invited you. Yes, um, you did. You did. Yeah. Uh, c- contractually, I had to. Uh, yes. That's right. It's in my contract. <laughs> it's I, in your rider. Uh, yes. I get invited to all of John Trumbull's party. That's right. I don't do this podcast. That's right. That's right. It's no brown M&M's invites to all of John Trumbull's birthdays. So, right. yeah. So, we're going to do that. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to. I just want to get together with a few friends, hang out with a few friends, because I still don't do a whole lot of that. I'm still like a bit in in pandemic mode. Mm. Um, so yeah, they, you know, big yeah. gatherings don't don't do a whole lot of those. No, I, I mean I get it. I mean, like you know, despite what people think and say, we are still in a pandemic, and mm-hmm. now with the monkeypox, that's a whole another. Yeah, I don't you know, even headache. know what the deal is with monkeypox. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know. It's, I got to do some reading up on the monkeypox. Uh, I don't know. We got we got everything out here. We got monkeypox. We got swine yeah. flu. We got Zika. We got. I, I did get my second booster. My second COVID booster a little while ago. Oh, um, nice. So okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should do that too. Shit. Well, the, the the cutoff for that is like 50. Um, mm, mm. So it's like if you're over 50. And, you know, I, I went like a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, hey, can I do this now? <laughs> I just I just want to do it now. I just want to take care of it now. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> All right. There you they, go. They, they, they let me do it. Way to celebrate the big 5-0, getting, uh, getting vaccines, as we all should. I am partying hard. Yeah. So yeah, I just I just want to hang out with like a few friends. I think I'm gonna have a steak. I haven't had a steak in like Ooh, literally a couple of years. Fancy and time. you know maybe have a beer or two. That'll be my big celebration. Oh, Maron! Look at so, this guy. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Like None of those wig. are things I do a whole lot anymore. So, and, but but it's like a big birthday. You want to do something to mark it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I please steak and beer. That's that's the only way to go. I mean, exactly. All right. I can't exactly. wait. So that's all right. Yeah, that'll, right, so that'll be it. my Monday night. <laughs> all right, fantastic. And uh, since it is your birthday, as we always do on the podcast, we decided to uh, talk about a movie of your choosing, good sir. Yes. And uh, so the movie we're talking about is a, this was a fantastic choice. It's Thank the uh, 1984 cult classic hit. This is Spinal Tap. Yes. Uh, Big SNL connections with this one. I mean, because at the time this movie came out, or or maybe like just after this movie came out, uh, Harry Shearer and Christopher Guest were cast members on SNL. Uh, Michael McKean became a cast member uh, in the 90s, about 10 years after this movie came out. Right. Uh, Billy Crystal and Dana Carvey both pop up in the movie. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a surprise to see. Which is like, which is interesting. Uh, Paul Schaefer is in the movie. Paul Schaefer's in this in former, this, in... former band leader. Yeah, or, yeah. Or band uh, member of SNL. I think he ran the the band the first few years, or was it Howard Shore? I'm I'm getting mixed I'm not, up. Not 100 percent sure. Uh, I mean Tony Hadea 
is in this film uh, from, from Natural Lampoon's fame, who had a, lot, a ton of connections with SNL. Yeah, uh, Tony Hendra. Hendra, what I say? You you said Hedaya. You were mixing them up said... with Dan Hedaya. Oh shit! <laughs> Damn, he's wonderful. Right. Dan Hedaya is wonderful. He is lovely, but he is not the same person as Tony Hendra. No, Hendra Hedaya Fanjaya Zendaya. I get them all mixed up. Yeah. And uh, and Rob Reiner, who hosted SNL a lot in the seventies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this film was directed by the great Rob Reiner and uh, written by uh, Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, and Rob Reiner. Came out March second, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, had a budget of two mil, made about four mil. Uh, so it was like a modest hit. From what I read, like when this movie came out, it wasn't a huge commercial success but the critics loved it like i think i remember reading somewhere um roger ebert and like praised this movie he said it was like phenomenal i think he gave it like four stars out of four for nice. his uh, for the paper here it goes um but, 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 yeah roger ebert said this is this is spinal tap is one of the funniest most intelligent most original films of the year the satire has a deft wicked touch spinal tap is not that much worse than not much different from some successful rock bands. And then Ebert later placed the film on his 10 best list of 1984 and would later include it in his greatest movies list uh, in 2001, where he called it one of the funniest movies ever made. Wow. Okay. Ebert, yeah, yeah. big booster of Spinal Tap. That's that's cool. Um, yeah, and uh, Gene Siskel, same thing. He gave it four stars out of four, saying the writing was so well done, in fact, that unless you are clued in beforehand, it might take you a while to realize that the rock group under a dissection in This Is Spinal Tap does not really exist, which is very true. It's like the way they play it in this movie, it's like you really don't, unless you, you're in on the joke, you really yeah. think this is like a real band that exists. Cause like you, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things that where it, they really ride the line into is this a joke? Is this real? Right. Which I appreciate it. Yeah. And they don't, I mean, the movie gets absurd, but I don't think it ever gets so absurd that it totally strains your believability, except maybe like right towards the end when somebody spontaneously combusts. But yeah, John, John, that happens all the time, though. It's just not recorded. That is in true. The media. That is true. Uh, in the media, they don't record it. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really an interesting film because it is shot as a a fake documentary. It's shot like a documentary. And that was not really a popular format in this era. I mean, it was, it was before the office. It was before Christopher Guest was doing all these types of mockumentary things. Yeah. I mean, mean, we we had a few precedents for this, like the Ruddles. Right. But it was, it was not a real popular format. And it's, I, I think the behind the scenes of this movie is part of what makes it so interesting was because they basically invented a fake band and they, they invented a whole history for this band so that they could, even though the movie's improvised, they invented this whole history of the band with like the various albums they'd done and things like that. So they could keep the history consistent in their, uh, when they were doing the mock interviews and, and such. Yeah, I mean, like, the way the movie is structured, like you said, it's very interesting because, like, the the characters are very lived in and they have, like, a whole history and they yeah. have, have, like, a whole background. 
Uh, but then, like, when the movie is made, the mockumentary, that's made kind of very loosely. Like, there's no real, like, right. there's like a, like a, almost like a Curb Your Enthusiasm type of thing, where there's like a loose structure as to what's going to happen in the film. But for the most part, it's like, most of it's just straight up improvise and, like, yeah. improv. Yeah, I mean, they, they said that, I mean, there's there are bits where Rob Reiner, he is not just directing the movie, he is also acting in the movie as the fictional director of this documentary, Marty DeBerge. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he, he derived his name from, uh, the Marty comes from Martin Scorsese, um, the Burge comes from Steven Spielberg, and the, the D comes from Brian De Palma. Oh wow! I that's I that's that. how he got that name. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. But when he's interviewing them as Marty DeBerge, he's interviewing the band. They did not know what questions he was going to ask them, and he's mm. there's a, there's a great scene where early on where he's like reading re- various reviews of their albums, and they have one album called Shark Sandwich. And he says, well, this review just said shit sandwich. And you can tell, like, they're genuinely amused by that. And they're like, that's not real. Go, you can't even print that. Come on now. No, you made that up. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's a lot. You can see, I mean, if you really look closely, you can see there are points where they are breaking a little bit. Like, there's, like, there's one point where um, uh, Marty DeBerge, Rob Reiner, is interviewing uh, Nigel Tufnell, played by Christopher Guest, and David St. Hubbins, played by... um, Michael McKean, and then like, he's talking about like how there's like a lot of boys or like you know white males at their concerts, and yes. then like that kind of gets into how come there aren't enough women at their concerts, and then uh-huh. he talks about you know well you know you see you know we we come up there and all taught spandex and trousers the ladies can't take it you know we get up there and there's like yeah. you know there's like armadillos in our pants and like yeah. when <laughs> when uh, that line was said by Nigel and when Nigel said that. You can see like a real smile come on Michael McKean's face of like how funny that line was. Yeah, yeah. It was like stuff like that. Like I really, I get it. I was I was watching um, an interview that the cast and Rob Reiner did uh, with Harry Smith a few years ago for the 35th anniversary, and Reiner was saying like, "Oh yeah, I was doing this one scene with Christopher Guest where, and it's it's a nice scene where." Uh, Christopher Guest, he plays the piano. He plays this lovely piece on the piano, and it's just, just this real pretty tune, very very classical sounding. And and uh, Rob Reiner says, "Oh, that's that's lovely. What what is that called?" And he says, "Oh, it's called uh, Lick My Love Pump." And, and <laughs> Rob Reiner just says, "Yeah," and I just I just died at that. That's <laughs> it, yeah. It's I mean, it's just it's so it's so inventive and it's so funny and they're so quick witted. Um, you know, we've just got genius lines throughout the movie. Like, you know, none more black. There's, there's a fine line between stupid and clever. Mm. And, and of course the whole, this goes to 11. I mean, like all those are just so genius and yeah, it's pretty, it's like, uh, I mean, the way they work together is really good. It's really fantastic. Uh, I mean, for those who don't know, so, um, Michael McKean and actually Christopher Guest, they met in college in the late 60s in, in the city, in New York City. And they started mm-hmm. to play music together. And then they uh, worked with Harry Shearer and Rob Reiner on this TV pilot for uh, this sketch comedy show called The TV Show in 78. And yeah. then that's where they kind of created this band called Spinal Tap. And uh, during production on that sketch, 
like they uh, they sort of began to improvise and they started to invent the characters a little bit more and and flesh them out a little bit more. So Michael Bikin became David Tate Hubbins and Christopher Guest sort of became Nigel Tufnell and then Harry Shearer right. became Derek Smalls and that's that's sort of where it the uh, the band sort of I guess was birthed or born. Yeah, and I was reading that um, like Michael McKean, of course, he I, I would say probably first got famous when he was playing Lenny on Laverne and Shirley, yes. along with his, his comedy partner uh, David Lander, who's yes. playing Squiggy. Hello, Shirley. Yeah, and they actually did a uh, an album called with a fictional band, Lenny and the Squigtones, and Christopher Guest played on that album, and he's credited as Nigel Tufnell on that album. So Fant- fantastic. Yeah, so these characters had been floating around for quite a while. And yeah, and I just, I love that they they built up, they created this whole fake mythology of the band. Like the, the band Spinal Tap, it formed in the early 60s and they were the, the Thamesmen. Oh, then right. They, then they were the Originals. <laughs> uh, but then there was another group called the Originals and they became the new Originals. And then... <laughs> and then and, and yeah. they've worked all this out and they they worked this all out so that they could be consistent in their answers and they're not just you know making stuff up out of whole cloth and i i find that fascinating they they actually didn't have a script for this movie uh what they did was they said okay just give us the money that you would pay us to write <laughs> a script and we will make a 20 minute short just sort of giving the feel of the film. And apparently some stuff from that short is in the final film. And right. I just... think, I mean, I thought like the, um, like the black and white stuff from when they were the, the, the Thamesmen. Yeah. Thamesmen is in there. Right. With uh, Ed Begley uh, Jr. as their drummer. Yes. Who, the great who, Ed Begley. Who, who died in a bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> <laughs> the cops thought it was just best not to, Look into that and leave it Best unsolved. Leave it unsolved. I mean, yeah, and that's that's one of the all time great running gags is that Spinal Taps drummers all die mysteriously. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, was, there's actually a record of it on the band's Wikipedia page under the fictional history section, and they have. Uh, so the first drummer is John Stumpy Peppies. Mm-hmm. Uh, portrayed by Ed Bagley Jr. in the video, Give Me Some Money. He died in a bizarre gardening accident that the authorities said best left unsolved. Next was Eric Stumpy Joe Childs. He choked on vomit of unknown origin. Oh, yeah, yeah. He choked on vomit. It wasn't his vomit. <laughs> but they're yeah. not sure because you can't really dust for vomit. I love that scene because, like, you can tell they were improvising it in the moment. Yeah, Like, Harry Shearer was like, yeah, he, ch- he choked on vomit. And then I think... It was probably Christopher Guest. I'm like, yeah, it was, but it wasn't in his own vomit. Like you can see them riffing and building on the idea. Like you know, yeah. I mean, I know this is like basic improv one or one or whatever, but like yeah. still, it's when you see it yes, so well and. done like this, it's amazing. yeah. Uh, their next drummer was Peter, quote unquote, James Bond, who <laughs> spontaneously combusted on stage during a jazz blues or blues jazz festival on the Isle of Lucy. <laughs> Get it. Leaving behind what has been described alternately as a globule or a stain. Um, next was the drummer in this movie, uh, Mick Shrimpton, uh, who exploded on stage. Uh, then there are some more. Uh, there's Joe Mama Besser, who mm. who 
claimed he couldn't take this 4-4 shit, according to an MTV interview with Spinal Tap in November 1991. He disappeared along with the equipment during their Japanese tour. He is either dead or playing jazz. <laughs> the name is a reference to that of Joe Besser, who had a similar short-lived and ill-fitted stint as the member of the Three Stooges. It is also uh-huh. a play on the insult phrase, Yo Mama. Uh, <laughs> next, we have Rick Shrimpton, who is the twin brother of Mick Shrimpton, who is seen in this movie. He allegedly sold his dialysis machine for drugs and is presumed dead. Jesus Christ. Um, from 1999 to 2001, there's Sammy Stumpy Bateman. He died trying to jump over a tank full of sharks while on a tricycle in a freak show. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, from 2001-2007, Scott Skippy Skiffleton, Fate Unknown. From 2007 to 2008, uh, Chris Papa Cadeau, eaten by his pet Python Cleopatra. Mm, uh, plus nine other drummers at various times, probably between 1970 and 1981, all of whom are dead. Good God. <laughs> so, <laughs> you either dead or playing jazz. It's, it's so damn funny just that the, they constantly have drummers throughout the years and they all die. It's a hilarious it's a hilarious <laughs> running gag. Yeah. It really oh my is. god. And also another thing I really love about this movie is and it's, it's also probably one of the reasons why people didn't know if this band was real or not. It's because, yeah. you know, Mike McKean and Guest and Harry Shearer played their own instruments. They, they, played actually... their own, they wrote the songs that are yeah. featured in this movie. Um and like a lot of these songs are like genuinely really good rock and roll like tonight i'm gonna rock you tonight is a genuine great song i love it i think it's like as good as anything like kiss has ever done or whatever it is it is a catchy song and it is it is one of the most brilliantly stupid rock lyrics i've ever heard i mean that is up there with the darkness's one-way ticket to hell and back because mm. <laughs> nice. it's it takes a real talent to write something that dumb if t- as tonight I'm going to rock you tonight. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, genuinely uh, catchy song. We also have Big Bottom. Oh, my God. It's a classic. <laughs> With the genius lyric, how could I leave this behind? Right. <laughs> my baby feels me like... Yeah. Hellhole. Hellhole uh, is a very catchy song. I love... Maybe my favorite Spinal Tap song was is "Give Me Some Money." I think that's a great song. Oh. And it really does sound like something you'd hear during the early '60s British Invasion era. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. That's another the, the Flower yeah. People is fun. Yeah, that's another thing that happens. Like we see the band, this is Spinal Tap, sort of go through the eras. Like when they first started yeah. out in the early '60s, they were more of a. I, I think they said like a skiffle band, which I wasn't yeah. sure that term was. But yeah. um, yeah, they're more like early '60s. You know, like Dave Clark Five almost, and mm-hmm. uh, then in the six, the late sixties, they get more like psychedelic sixties pop, right? Uh, you know, that's, like strawberry. That's when they go into listen to the Flower People, yeah, yeah, like you know, like uh, you know, Strawberry Alarm Clock or whatever, and like now they're more like heavy metal, hard rock, right? And yeah, and you kind of realize they're they don't have much identity of their own; they're just kind of latching onto whatever the musical trend is of the day, but. And and it's it's funny. I mean, the the wigs these guys have. I mean, we we've got Michael McKean in that long blonde wig, and but I th- I think Harry Shearer takes the cake with his his big <laughs> his um, big mustache mutton chop combo as Derek Smalls. Yeah, um, he's got the he's rocking the Lemmy. Beautiful. He's got the Lemmy. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, 
Christopher Guest looks eerily like Jeff Beck in his wig. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess he does. Well, I didn't he know really so. does. Um, and, I mean, it's, yeah, it's fun. So, like, the movie follows them over the course of this tour through North America, and it just sort of gradually becomes very, very clear that their best days are behind them. <laughs> I mean, early on, Tony Hendra as their manager, Ian... Uh, he tells them very casually, he's like, oh, by the way, the uh, the Boston concert is canceled. And he says, but I wouldn't worry. It's not a big college town. <laughs> Which is just such a great understated line. Just, yeah, yeah, Boston's not a big college town. It's, it's yeah. You, you, yeah, I, but yeah. But yeah, I love it. It's like, just like lines like that are fantastic. We also see, um, we have a lot of cameos from sort of a, uh, sort of bigger names in this one like one of the yeah. people that's in this film uh, the great Fran Drescher is in it mm-hmm. as um she's like the record exec um you know Bobby and, uh, Fleckman yeah yeah Bobby Fleckman as the artist relations person and yeah uh we see her at a party we see her at a party that's uh catered by mimes uh two of those mm-hmm. mimes being Dana Carvey and a young Billy Crystal yeah, and it's like, I mean, before they were known in a big way, I suppose Billy Crystal was doing soap already at this point, but Dana Carvey, complete unknown. Yeah. Fran Drescher, this is pre-nanny, so she wasn't terribly known. I, I know she was in Saturday Night Fever, so she was probably just like a job and actress. Yeah, I think she was also in uh, Dr. Detroit with Dan oh, yeah. Aykroyd okay. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, Patrick McNee from The Avengers, he pops up. Ooh. Um, you know, the the 60s spy show, not the Marvel Comics. <laughs> yes. um, he, he didn't fight Thanos. He did not. I mean, he could have. He could yeah. have. I mean, uh, John Steed did a lot of cool stuff. But uh, <laughs> anybody yeah, that he's have... the head of the record label. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, if there's yeah. anybody that could lift me on it was him. Yeah. Howard Hessman pops up. Yeah. Um, that was a oh, fantastic he's... scene, too. That's a great scene. I mean, and Howard Hesman, he also has one of the, the low-key funniest lines in in the movie where he runs into the band in he, he's like a manager of another act. That's more successful. And, yeah, and he runs into them in the lobby of the hotel and he says, like, Oh, well, I'd love to talk to you more, but I have to go wait in the lobby for our bus to get here. <laughs> Just that is that is just genius, man. Howard Hessman. Oh. I mean, another guy with an improv background, and God, he just knocked it out of the park. It's fantastic. There's, I mean, ah, oh, so much. I mean, there's so much good in this film, and also, I, yeah. like, like you said, like there's like low key sort of lines like that, like Howard Hessman says that are really hilarious. Mm-hmm. There's a, I feel like throughout this whole movie, there is a lot of that. There's like a lot of extremely subtle jokes that. They yeah. put in there that you're not going to get unless you're really paying attention and really thinking about it. Like, like one of them I noticed is that where they were at the, another party, I believe it was like an album release party or a no, the mm-hmm. record industry convention party. And yeah. um, we see, you know, the, the band talking to people at the party. And then we, we noticed that both Nigel and David have like these like herpes sores or bumps on their lips. Yeah. They both, they both have cold sores. Apparently like, they got that from because they both slept with the same groupie. Um, right. I think there was a deleted subplot that made that even more explicit. And I think that might be on the uh, the DVD set that I have. There's a, there's a ton 
of deleted scenes on the DVD set that I own. Um, oh, wow. And it really makes you realize like just what a massive thing this movie was. Cause like you're, you're making a movie through improv. You're, you're going to get a lot of great stuff, but you're going to get even more fair to middling or maybe even not so good stuff. So you have to shoot a lot of stuff. And so, I mean, I'm sure this, I think they took like nine months to edit this movie. So it was really shaped in the editing. Oh, wow. So. Okay. That's, ooh, nine months. Yeah. Is that the normal amount of time for something like that? No, no, that's a long oh, time. It's, oh, it's not. I see. That, okay. is not. <laughs> I, that is not. I know nothing about filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. uh, I mean, but yeah, like, again, this movie has so many classic lines in it. I mean, of course, the, this goes to 11 is probably the most well known. Yeah. Out of yeah. Them. And, uh, like, that's one of those lines, it did, like, I hate to admit it, that did take me a while, a minute to figure out, like, what was so funny about it, because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like, well, so basically in the scene, Nigel's showing the director his uh, specially made amps, his speakers, and, like, yeah. what they have on the speakers, they have these dials that go up to 11, and right. he and, the, and he's explained to the director. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's one louder, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you need a little extra kick, um, but then and, the, and and Marty DeBurgi very sensibly says, "Well, why couldn't you just make ten louder and have ten be the loudest?" And it just totally goes over Nigel's head, and he just goes, well, "These go to 11. <laughs> it's yeah. He it just took, cannot conceive that eleven could not be louder than ten. Yeah, it took me a minute. Cause I was like, "Well, no, eleven is a bigger number than ten, therefore it's louder, right?" Yeah, and then I was like, oh, yeah. wait, no, no. Yeah, okay. yeah, I see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most of the jokes are some variation on these guys are not terribly bright and it gets them into trouble sometimes. I mean, one of the most infamous sequences in the movie was Nigel sketches out a prop, like a stage piece for their song Stonehenge. And he's like, well, we should have a giant Stonehenge that lowers from, from the ceiling and then we can have people dance around it. But he labels this little napkin sketch wrong. And so they build a prop Stonehenge that is only 18 inches high instead of 18 feet high. <laughs> I get inches and feet mixed up all the time when it comes like running that little dash yeah. against the number. So, hey, man, I, I feel you, Nigel. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. But I don't think the problem was that the band was off. I think the problem was we had a prop Stonehenge that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. Yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. So, yeah. So like basically the, the band is doing this very serious song, Stonehenge. And of mm. course they expect some gigantic, you know, replica Stonehenge come down from, from this, from the sky. And then they, of course they get something that comes up to, you know their their knees, and yes. they just have you know uh, little little people uh, dancing around it gleefully. So I was like, oh, this this doesn't have the impact we thought it would. Yeah, that's well, hilarious though. It's oh, I mean it's it's such a funny movie, and apparently like it's it's both popular and infamous among real musicians because most real musicians are just like, yeah, this movie is just too real. It's not really a comedy. It really is a documentary. And, <laughs> and like a lot of things in this movie happen to real bands. Like apparently 
Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers actually got lost on the way to the stage. Oh shit! Their, their gigs, yeah. See, all right, let's talk. All right, let's talk about that. So there's another, yeah. in, you know, famous scene where I believe they're in Cleveland. They're backstage. They're getting hello, ready to, Cleveland. Yeah, <sighs> and they're getting ready to, you know, rock and roll. And yeah. as, as they leave that dressing room, they make their way to the stage. You know, they're backstage. They immediately get lost. They go. To, mm-hmm. They like end up at a loading dock, I think, at one point, and then they go back yeah. and circle back. They find a maintenance guy, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you make two rights, two lefts, and then." Keep going till you see a door that says authorized personnel. That's you. You walk through that. And right. then he's like, Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, rock and roll. And of course, yeah. they make another wrong turn and they run into the exact same maintenance guy they just talked to a minute ago. Yeah. And it's, it is hilarious because you, the first time you're watching this, you do not see it coming at all. And then you see that same maintenance guy again. And it's just, it is the funniest thing. And you're just like, Oh, oh it must have made a wrong turn, just, man. They are literally lost without a map. Um, yeah, but like I always thought, like like the the venue or somebody that would have somebody to guide you through that. But you would think, but I, yeah, I guess no. Apparently, it happens. I, I saw on the IMDb trivia page it says that Kiss uh, once played a uh, a gig where they were they were in a theater. Their dressing room was on the fourth floor. They went down to the first floor. They found nothing. Second floor, they found nothing. Then they could hear themselves being introduced, and it turned out that the stage was on the third floor. <laughs> Oh, oh boy! <laughs> so <laughs> again, doesn't don't you have anybody that's feel that can tell you, hey, this is where the stage is? Well, uh, I mean, I think we also have to consider rock bands. They they occasionally indulge in certain narcotic substances. What? So perhaps huh. that factored in. It's not, it's I don't know. I have no inside knowledge on this. This is the first uh, I'm hearing about this. Like, you mean like like. Like like alcohol, yeah, alcohol, funny cigarettes, you know uh, that sort of thing. I I'm gobsmacked, right? I now. know. <laughs> I I don't. I, I'm beside myself. I don't know what to say. His his, his gob has been smacked. Right? <laughs> and confirm. That's right. Smacking the gob. Um. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's such a funny movie. It's I mean it you know just. Nigel Duffnell like complaining about the small pieces of bread on this, you know, and he's like, I can't make a sandwich out of this because I, and and the manager Ian, he's like, well, you can just like fold the pieces of meat, and he, he's like, yeah, but then if I fold the bread in half, it just breaks in half, and yeah, that's that's absolute madness, isn't it? <laughs> and, just, and he's just not getting it. Nigel Duffnell is just one of the one, most wonderfully stupid characters ever because he is just so oblivious to every effing thing i love i love there's this one scene that like after rewatching it that, that like I, I i don't know for some reason it just hit me different i, I caught stuff i didn't see before but yeah. like his guitar solo scene uh-huh. where he's talking about how he loves his own you know i love my guitar solo it gives me a chance to express myself and right. it's like so he's doing a guitar solo and he's shredding and then he has another guitar near his foot and he's playing yeah. that guitar with his foot Right, he's like like shredding with his feet, his foot, and his on his guitar, and then, and then he takes out a violin and he starts mm-hmm. playing the violin against the guitar. Yeah, and then at one point, as he's doing that, it sounds wrong to him. So then he tunes the guitar, and then he plays again. He's like, "All right, that's better." And it just it's it's just a loud calamity of just guitars smashing around. And it's, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. 
funny, funny stuff. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know. This movie has again had a lot going for it. Another thing I, I also didn't see coming is uh, the introduction of uh, David Saint Hubbins' uh, girlfriend or fiance, uh, yeah, Janine. Janine. Um, who, who was it that played Janine? I don't have her name handy. Uh, June Chadwick. Yeah, she is very good. Um, yeah, I yeah. don't think I've seen her in anything else. Uh, I looked her up. She's done like a few. She was like in some episodes of Riptide, and okay. like you know a few things here and there, but nothing like too like super major. I don't think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I love the. But I love the scene yeah. where um, where like uh, David is on the phone with June with a uh, with Janine, and he tells mm-hmm. Nigel like, "Oh, she's coming out. She's she's gonna join us on the tour. She's coming out here." Yeah. And like he's all happy, but you see the look on Nigel's face, and like the f- look on his face just says it all. Like you know, he does not like her. He's always had a problem with her, but he doesn't yeah. say it. Does and the f- and after Nigel gets told that Janine's going to be out or come out to meet them, he's like, "Oh wait, she's going to like you know come off to drop off something, and then she's going to like go away." Yeah, yeah. Or something. Like I don't know. There, there was a lot in there. Like I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. She's she's like the Yoko of the group. Um, mm. very much so. Yeah, the she 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 interferes. She is more helpful than is helpful. Um, very much so. She, she's got a. I mean, David Saint Hubbins loves her, and he's like, you know, before I met Janine, cosmically, my life was in a shambles. And she's she's very new agey. She's very into astrology and all that. At one point, she's pitching a new look to the band, and it's going to be based on all their astrological signs mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just they're just horrible horrible ideas uh, yeah i think she wanted uh nigel to look like like a goat or like satan <laughs> right <laughs> or it's a point it's like right. yeah you could be like a goat person That'd be nice, yeah right? and uh it's yeah it's it's funny stuff so yeah that that adds to some conflict we we, we see david and Nigel, who are like these these childhood friends, they have a falling out over the course of the movie, um, partly because the band's popularity is waning so much, and partly because the band is so mismanaged by mm-hmm. Ian and then by Janine after Ian quits. Right, uh, and then and we we see Nigel just quit and huff on stage when they're playing at a an Air Force base and <laughs> and Air Force signals are coming over the loudspeaker in the middle of their set and nigel just is like right had enough i'm i'm off <laughs> yeah that was i mean that that was pretty devastating because like yeah that at that point that's where like you said like uh, ian quits because they had some a big huge fight after the whole uh, stonehenge debacle yeah and then so david's uh you know janine takes up the managerial uh duties right. uh they had like an, of course another show canceled on them so they did a show at a Air Force base where we get to see the great Fred Willard pop yes. in, yes, as like uh, you know, as 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 one of the officers there, and uh, as, like the moment you got there, you saw that like, oh, this isn't the this venue, these people that they, they don't want the Rock. <laughs> yeah, I mean Fred Willard again, another genius improviser. You've seen him in all of like Christopher Guest's movies, and he's like. Oh, you know, we're such fans of you and all your albums. Well, not you specifically, but the whole rock genre. <laughs> I mean, that that is just an, a genius bit of improvisation. We like music in general. Rock and roll right, is nice. Right. 
And uh, yeah, and then of course, so you get the you get the impression that these people aren't here to hear like you know loud, profane rock and roll. And of course, right. they go on, they go in and they play a uh, sex farm. Yes, <laughs> working but, uh, on a sex farm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we see people just like sitting at their tables, just awkwardly. Like, okay, well, let's tolerate this. Um, yeah, it's uh, oh boy, yeah, it's 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 pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, well, we've been talking about uh, you know, Nigel and David all the time. We should give a little love to um, Harry Shearer's character, Derek Smoles. Yes, he, yes, he has some great, fantastic moments too. Like one of the moments I loved, of course, is uh, the the pod moment. Where they're mm-hmm. on stage and they're all three of them are in these pods that open up, and uh, David's able to get out, Nigel's able to get out, but Derek's gets stuck, and he's not able to get out of the little yeah, plastic pod yeah. that they're in. Oh, hilarious! Like I think at one point you see like a roadie try to bang on it with a hammer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout the entire song, they are trying to get him out of this cocoon thing, and. You know, and then of course the joke is they finally, finally get him out, but it's the very end of the song, and the other and Derek and Nigel are going back into their pods, which close on them successfully, and so, or excuse me, David and and Nigel get back into their pods, and Derek tries to rush back into his pod, but he just gets his arm caught. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very funny. Absolutely, and of course, like the big scene, I would say Derek Small's big scene is the uh, the airport security scene. Yeah, metal, metal detector. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. So for those that don't know, it's like basically they're about to get a uh, get on an airplane. They go th- all go through a metal detector. Derek goes through it. it metal detector goes off. You know, the uh, T- TSA person is like, "Hey, can you, you know, empty your pockets?" And he does. He goes through a metal detector again. It still goes off. He takes off more metal stuff. The metal detector still yeah. goes off. So they're like, all right, let's get the wand. They get the wand. They wand over uh, Derek Smalls, and there it goes off the wand, but like around his uh, groin, his crotchal yeah. region. Uh huh. And he's like, and so the uh, TSA is like, so um, sir, do you have any um, like a metal plate in there or something? Yeah. And then of course we see a defeated Derek Smalls take out a cucumber wrapped in foil. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it. Put the... Well, and then he the... was flying. I mean, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> that I mean, I was like, dude, can't you just get a cucumber when you get there? Like, why do you need it? No, I mean, you have to keep it cool, so you have to wrap it in foil and like foil, like uh, it's like plastic wrap, man. Come on, that's a rookie move. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but like the fact that they don't again, it's another joke where they don't go into explaining it. Like, why does he have it there? I mean, you know. So they all oh, they just all oh, yeah. they just do the joke and they trust the audience is smart enough to get where that yeah. that was going. Well, like, they have armadillos in their trousers. Yes. <laughs> uh, I also love in the middle of their tour they we see them at Graceland and we see them at Elvis Presley's grave and they attempt to sing Heartbreak Hotel together like in tribute to the king. <laughs> but they can't they can't settle on what key they're doing it in so it's just i mean that's a very funny scene that's it's, fantastic it's very, yeah like i think like it began with david like genuinely just kind of singing the song and then the other yeah. guy yeah and it starts out as like a sincere kind of touching tribute and then it just <laughs> because they're such idiots it just 
degenerates. Mm. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, this movie has like so much good in it. Like, uh, it's such a funny movie. It's yeah. So... When did you first see this movie? I mean, oh. I first saw it like in college and and like in the early nineties. I remember I uh, was was part of the entertainment board at my college union board, mm-hmm. and we did a rock and roll themed movie night one night. Mm. We showed this. We showed the Doors movie, which was very recent at the time. Um, and what okay. else did we show? The Blues Brothers. Oh wow! Of course. And there was some fourth movie, and I'm forgetting. And I should—I really should remember because I did a poster for this. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, this yeah. was the, this was the first time I saw that movie in college. So it was about six, seven years after it come out, and. Uh, just love it first sight. Yeah. When did yeah. you first see it? Darren? Uh, wow, it's been a while. Like, I think I'm pretty sure I first saw it in college too. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's, it, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, when you're a comedy nerd, like you hear you hear of movies that you need to watch. Like, oh, you need to watch, yeah, Caddyshack. Exactly. You need to watch, you know, so and so. You need to watch Ghostbusters. You need to watch. It's one of those movies. If you have not seen it by a certain point, your friends make you feel bad for not seeing it yet. Absolutely. It's a movie that is so good, your friends will berate you for not seeing it. Yeah, I think on this podcast I mentioned I still haven't seen uh, Time Bandits yet. And like I, I think I told some of my friends, and they're like, you need to watch Time Bandits. What, what Time Bandits is worth seeing. Terry Gilliam, uh, yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park on that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But yeah, like uh, I mean, I will say that about this movie, of course. like If you're a fan of comedy, if you're a comedy nerd, if you're an improv nerd, this yeah. I would say this movie is like mandatory view. Or if you if you're a music nerd. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's I mean it hits all those those things and I yeah, and it just it, and it gets funnier with time. Like a lot of comedies you see them once and you're just like, "Okay, well, you know, I've seen that and it's not going to be terribly funny the next time around." This is this is a comedy that stays funnier or even gets funnier with uh, other additional viewings. Yeah, yeah, because you just catch it. You just catch things that you missed the first time around, where you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't even know." Th-. Like you know, you're always you're always finding like new new treasures that is, yes. that, 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 upon re- 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 repeat viewings. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, pretty. I'm pretty genius. <laughs> pretty genius. Uh, I mean, we could also talk about like how. This whole in this whole movie, they're out. They're touring to promote their new album called uh, "Smell the Glove." Smell the glove, yes, yes. yes. Which uh, you know, Fran Drescher. I think they, they they didn't even show what the album cover looked like. But Fran there's Drescher, a big debate about the album cover, though. It's 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 quite controversial. It's yes. uh, it's uh, it's quite sexist, apparently. What's wrong with being sexy? No, 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 sexist, oh, sexist. Uh, apparently, uh, the the cover depicts the the. The cover they want depicts a, a nude woman on all fours with a dog collar and a leash, and a man is like shoving a black leather glove into her face and forcing her to sniff it. Hmm. Uh, you know, I can see problems with that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, apparently places like Kmart don't want to carry the album. <laughs> oh, yes. Kmart, Kmart and Sears are going are gonna to boycott this album, they said in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, none of those stores are a thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, because they didn't carry the Spinal Tap album. That's Let's why. That's why they went out of business. See what happens? <laughs> so there's there's all this debate going on. And, and yeah, eventually there's a scene where 
their manager, uh, Ian, he unveils the album and it is just a black cover. <laughs> right. No words, no pictures. Right. Like literally just like black. Like even the white album had the Beatles. Yeah. The word the Beatles on the front cover. Yeah. Way but to sell is, out. This is just, this black. Is just you know, it's just black. And as, as Nigel puts it, it's like you ask how much more black could this get? And you say none. None more black. <laughs> <laughs> well, is this like the test pressing or something? Right, right. Yeah, they, they don't they don't quite get that it's the real album cover and he's and and Ian's just trying to build it up like cuz nothing goes wrong in his world. He's like, "No, no, this is it. This is just simple, direct. It's it just just black. Just Oh my god. Uh yeah, so I mean I do love how we get to, like we see as the tour goes on, things aren't going yeah. right, you know, venues are canceling left and right. Uh one a fantastic scene is when we get um, when they go to Chicago and we see uh, the great Paul Schaefer playing uh, uh, Artie Fifkin, who's yeah. like the promo man for uh, the record company. And like yeah. he, he holds. And, and like, they're doing a signing at a record store and no one shows up. We just cut to the band just sitting there at their table, humiliated because no one is there to see them. They're, they, they just have no audience left. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah. funny, but it's also pretty sad. Yeah, I mean, as as their manager says, uh, their, their audience has just become more selective. <laughs> <laughs> but you think they would select them, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, not so much. <laughs> not oh, so much. dear. <laughs> and, yeah, and... And Schaefer, Schaefer is very funny. He's in, he's in a small part, and he's like, you know, look, look, would you do me a favor? Would you kick my ass? And I'm not, I'm not asking you to kick my ass. I'm telling you to kick my ass. He, <laughs> want, he wants to be punished. You, you kind of get the feeling this isn't entirely about no one showing up for the autograph signing. I, I feel like this is your own stuff going on now. Yeah, I feel like you're you're bringing your own stuff to the party right now. Right, right. Oh my god! Yeah, this movie is oof, fantastic. Su- such a funny movie. Such Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, I also like lines that um, because like you know, at this point, the the band is really getting into the the thick of it, where they're they're becoming more and more strained. Uh, Janine keeps you know chiming in with her, more of her ideas, you know, saying mm-hmm. that maybe the band is being mismanaged, causing tension between Ian and the band, and then that yeah. causes tension between Nigel and and David, and I, yeah. I also like this one point where... Because the band has two geniuses. Yeah, the band has two lead guitarists, which is, <laughs> yes. I was like, yeah. like, why is that and, a thing? And there are two creative forces in the band. You know, there's one who's fire and one who's who's ice. Yes. And Derek feels like his job is just to be in the middle and be sort of lukewarm water. <laughs> <laughs> that's the line. Like, the first time I saw it, that, that line was like, that line got me. <laughs> That's I'm like yeah. lukewarm Walter. <laughs> oh my just, god. Just great stuff. Yeah, so like at this point, uh this is after the Air Force Base show that goes horribly wrong. The band breaks up, uh Nigel walks mm-hmm. off in a huff. And uh so then um yeah, yeah, Janine begins managing the band and like she finds out it's not as easy right. as she thought it would be. Um, you know, things culminate to the point where they have they're doing a show at a amusement park in California, 
mm-hmm. where if you look at the marquee, it says puppet show and spinal tap. <laughs> yes. And she says, you know, if I told them once, I told them a hundred times, it's Spinal Tap, then Puppet Show. Spinal Tap gets top billing. Uh, oh, my God. Very funny stuff. Yeah. And then, like, I think at this point, they're behind, they're backstage trying to create their set list. And then they're like, well, no, that's Nigel's song. He, we can't do that. Nigel right. does that better. We can't do that. So, yeah, they kind of re- gradually realize, like, oh, we can't really do much of anything without Nigel. So they, they decide to rebrand themselves as, like, Spinal Tap 2.0. Right. And because, like, and, Derek wants to do a jazz odyssey. Right. <laughs> they, they discuss their plans for a musical about Jack the Ripper, Saucy Jack. Yeah. yeah saucy. And then they start singing a song, Saucy Jack, on the spot. Like, that. Mm-hmm. that's pretty fantastic. Like, like to make a song up on the spot like that, like uh, yeah, these guys are fantastic. I also like one of my favorite parts was when they're doing the jazz odyssey at the uh, amusement park, and mm-hmm. they can they can totally see that the small audience that did come out to see them just aren't digging the sound. I think yeah, the, they're yawning, they're making gestures, they're yeah. They're, I think yeah, at one point there's like a audience member like with his thumb down yeah. <laughs> at them, <clears throat> and like David knows it's not going well. And then uh, I think at one point he says, oh, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, this is what uh, on the base, Derek Smoles. He wrote right. this. <laughs> also, it's not so much him giving credit as throwing yes, Derek under the bus. I know. It's hilarious. Derek Smalls. He wrote this. Oh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I bet you're right. Yes. See, again, finding new treasures and treats. Upon repeat yeah. viewings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so like towards the end of the... It's a super short movie, by the way, guys. It's like not even an hour and a half. It's like, Yeah, actually, I was actually able to watch it twice uh, this morning because ooh. there's... I watched the movie by itself and then I also watched um, it again with a commentary because on the DVD, or at least the DVD I have, they do commentary in character as spinal tap and they're, they're just throughout they're talking about like oh what a what a horrible hatchet job marty divergy did on us and <laughs> like oh he doesn't he doesn't show all the the times we played rock and roll creation where the pods open successfully no he has to show the time <laughs> that that Derek got stuck <laughs> and, oh, that's and it's, it's just very funny and and again it's just genius improv from these guys I always love it when, like, they do that. Like, I mean, I haven't heard it too many times, but I got to listen to it again just to hear them do their commentary in character. Like, the only time, other yeah. time I can remember hearing something like that is, like, uh, you know, back when I, when I was, like, collecting DVDs all the time, and I love listening mm-hmm. to director's commentary. If you listen, yeah. we probably talked about it, but, like, uh, the Tropic Thunder DVD, where yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr. does his commentary in character as Kirk yeah. Lazarus. Like, well, he doesn't drop character until he finishes the DVD commentary. I mean, my God, Chef's Kiss! That thing was yeah. Oh, it's, it's worth, folks. It's worth the money if you, if you, if you got it on DVD. Go out and buy it right now because it is. Yeah, I've I've never I've never listened to that commentary. I got to listen to that one time. I know, um, on the Freaks and Geeks box set, there is one episode where they have three of the teachers do uh, commentary in character. Oh wow! Um, so it's um. Uh, Thomas F. F. Wilson, who's probably best known as Biff from Back to the Future, he played like gym teacher. Mm. They had Mr. Uh, Chochevsky, who was the math teacher. 
and they had uh, Rosso, who was the guidance counselor, and the three of them did a commentary on an episode in character, and it's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. All right. I got I got homework. I got to check that out. That's, that's always fun. Yeah. Break out the Break out the Freaks and Geeks DVD box set. Yeah, we'll do. I know, I know you have it. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I know you have it, Darren Patterson. Don't I front. Do. I do. I, I, all right. <laughs> don't even son. pretend you don't own that Freaks and Geeks box set. Don't be acting like you ain't got no Freaks and Geeks box set. I know you got some Freaks and Geeks box set. I don't got no Freaks and Geeks box set. Oh, um, but yeah, the, the commentary on Spinal Tap is very, very funny. Yes, uh, absolutely. I actually think yeah. I think that's on YouTube as well. I think I saw it floating. It around probably the, is. It probably is. By I, think I saw it floating around the YouTube. Surprising young person has put it up on mm. on the YouTube. Some hero. Yes. I need a hero. Yes. It should be shared with as wide as an audience as possible. That's you know, we should probably say um, they actually just announced a few months ago they're doing a sequel to Spinal Tap. Woo! Which, I mean, how shocked were you to hear that news? Uh, very much so. Just because I, I, it's just something I never thought they would do. Like, I mean, I thought, yeah. like, if they were going to do a sequel, they would have done it years ago. Yeah. But the fact that they're getting around to it now is... I mean, surprising. they've done things. They actually, like, in 1992, they released another album as Spinal Tap. Um... And, and they had, like, a television special of that. You occasionally see them do, like, interviews in character, but they've never done, like, a full-length movie uh, yeah. in character. And I actually found an article from Deadline where Rob Reiner, he talked about it, he says, the plan is to do a sequel that comes out on the 40th anniversary of the original film, and I can tell you hardly a day goes by without someone saying, why don't you do another one? Uh, for so many years, we said, nah, it wasn't until we came up with the right idea how to do this. You don't want to just do it to do it. You want to honor the first one and push it a little further with the story. And Ooh. and I actually found, I hadn't seen this before when this story first broke. They actually described what the premise of the sequel is going to be. Ooh. Had you heard this? I have not. Uh, okay. Breaking so news. Rob, Let's get into it. Yeah, so Rob Reiner says uh, they they played Albert Hall. They played... Wembley Stadium all over the country and in Europe. Uh, they haven't spent any time together recently. He means the band. And that became the premise. The idea was that Ian Faith who was their manager. He passed away. In reality, Tony Hendra passed away. Mm. Ian's widow inherited a contract that said Spinal Tap owed them one more concert. She was basically going to sue them if they didn't. All these years and a lot of bad blood will get into and they're thrown back together and forced to deal with each other and play this concert. Hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds like a pretty cool premise to me. I like it because it's, yeah. it's got some built-in conflict. And I mean, I like that we're acknowledging that Tony Hendra is no longer with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's cool that we're kind of adding to the mythology of the band. The band is like apparently broken up and they're kind of forced to uh, forced to get back together. <laughs> One more job. <laughs> One more job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that sounds I mean, we can get a lot of, you know, I can see a I mean, it's, it's like a basic premise, but like I can see them doing a lot with it. I can see yeah. them pulling a lot of the newer improv people into this movie. Maybe some SNL people, yeah. maybe some people from, you know, who are on SNL, who are like huge in the comedy improv yeah. world would be a part of this. Well, he sa he says that um, their hope is they want to get some guest artists. They want to get some uh, 
some real life musicians Ooh. in the movie and he says we're talking about doing possibly doing a couple books but one will be tap moments that real bands have had where will uh-huh. be real bands talking about like sort of humiliating spinal tap-esque moments they've had oh um Fantastic. and uh rob reiner says i'm back playing marty de the band was upset with the first film. They thought I did a hatchet job, and this is a chance to redeem myself. I am such a big fan, and I felt bad that they didn't like what they saw in the first film. When I heard they might get back together, I was a visiting adjunct teacher's helper at the Edward School of Cinematic Art. <laughs> I drop everything to document this final concert. Um, and so, that yeah, that's going to be released March 19th, uh, 2024. Wow, yeah, that's like around the 40th anniversary. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's really cool. And, I mean, wow, just the thought of them getting that together, literally 40 years since the first film. That's really cool. I don't think they've started shooting anything of it yet, but I'm I'm actually looking forward to this. I, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that it's going to be good. It's Comedy sequels are tough, man. They are, they are. Like, I mean, a lot of people just compare it to the old one. Even if you do have like a good sequel if yeah. it's not as good or you know as good as if as people perceived it in their mind as the first one the people yeah. automatically be like well this is all right but it was no first time you know they did it yeah and it's it's, it's tough because you don't have the element of surprise or not the same element of surprise as right. the first one um so so that's tough i mean because comedy is so dependent upon surprise yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's 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 just yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. Sequels in general are tough. Comedy sequels are really tough. I mean, yeah. we've we've seen that with with Ghostbusters. We've seen it with Anchorman. We've mm. seen it, you know, and, it, and it's especially tough when you're coming back a number of years later. But yeah, I really like the premise of them coming back together for a reunion concert when they don't really want to. Yeah, like I. <laughs> Like they're only doing because they're contractually obligated, right? That's a good right. premise. I, yeah, that's a good premise. I mean, it, it sounds like they really did wait until they had a good idea for it. So yeah, yeah. So and and also like the main people are still with us. I mean, we we still got Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, Rob Reiner. That's right. So I mean, it's it's a shame that Tony Hendra is no longer with us. That Howard Hessman's no longer with us. Yeah, but. Um, I mean, we got the main four that we need to yeah, make yeah. this thing. You know, it's not. It it's not going to be like a Blues Brothers two thousand situation where Oof. it's just like, mm. yeah. Talk talk about comedies with the the second movie not being a oof in the same league. Yeah, I, I chew <laughs> listeners go back and listen to that episode we did. It was we, we watched the movie, so you don't have to. Let's just say that. Yeah, the music's good. Pick up the soundtrack. Yes, yeah. pick up they the. Did, they did. A bunch of nice musical numbers. Music um, is good, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. It's but, a uh, it's a great movie you know, to maybe listen. Maybe if one of the big stars of your first movie passes away, maybe not do don't do that scene. Yeah, it's a great movie to listen to. Maybe not to watch. I mean, just just turn to the screen during the musical numbers and yes. enjoy those. There you go. And, uh, yeah, and don't ask yourselves questions like, "Well, why is there a little kid dressed up as a blues brother? Why do we have like two and a half other people here to replace the Jed John Belushi?" Hey, do you want to listen to Erica Badu or not? <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to the music. Listen to the music. Whoa, yeah, whoa. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, oh, yeah, we should talk about the how this movie ends, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, at the end of this movie, they're doing their... It's the end of the tour, and, like, mm-hmm. it seems like the band really doesn't have anywhere to go after this. Like, uh, we see... Uh, we see uh, with Derek and David talking about how after this, we're going to have all this free time. It's like, oh, this is, actually, this is actually a good thing that we don't have an album coming out and we don't have, you know, we don't have anything else lined up. This is good. We have free time to do the, mm-hmm. you know, the musical about the Jack the Ripper. This is, this is great. You know, they're they're kind of, kind of lying to themselves being like, oh yeah, this is fantastic that we have absolutely nothing <laughs> lined up in our future. And um, so they go play their backstage ready to perform their last performance. And we see um, Nigel pop in, you know, yeah. you know, the, you know, and there's automatically sort of tension as you can feel. And he tells the guys, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just a messenger here, but I ran into Ian and he says that uh, sex farm is actually charting in Japan. It's actually number five. We're actually doing really well in Japan. So he wanted me to see if you guys want to get together and tour Japan. Yeah. And which is, I mean, and that is such a thing that bands do. I mean, especially like if their fan base in the U S or wherever their home country is wanes a bit, they will just go wherever the gigs are. I know, I know like the monkeys in like the seventies and eighties, like, those guys toured Japan because they were like big in Japan. And yeah, like I know like a lot of uh, like '90s rappers that are that were big mm-hmm. in the '90s, like are are still huge like in Europe and like Germany and stuff. And they'll like go over to Germany and you know yeah. Austria or wherever and just do do this stuff there and make a ton of dough. Like you know, but I I don't fault them. Like if you can't make the money here in the states, go where the money is. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh... Um, yeah yeah it's <laughs> yeah as as norm mcdonald uh was so good to remind us germans love david hasselhoff i mean <laughs> hasselhoff was big in germany and yeah so hasselhoff toured the f out of germany he's like he's there when the berlin wall fell that's right Hasselhoff ain't no fool <laughs> yep there's a reason he was Star Lord. Does not miss a trick, man. That's right. There's a reason he's Star Lord's, uh, you know, perfect dad. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So the band hears this news and they they kind of brush it off and then they walk past uh, Nigel getting ready to do their last show and mm-hmm. then you actually see this kind of tender moment between Nigel and David where they kind of like look at each other and you know Nigel's like, "Hey, dude, good, have a good show." It was weird. Right. It was like it was like a like a sincere moment in this like kind of. <laughs> Silly, you know, goofy. and you know what? I there there are just a couple of like sincere or straight dramatic moments, and I really feel like that makes the movie work better. Absolutely, like you you feel the friendship between these guys, so it it means something when they have that falling out, like uh, yeah. two thirds through the movie, and yeah, and it, it really works, and and it's really kind of touching when like. Spot the remainder of Spinal Tap gets on stage, and you see David just sort of glance over to where Nigel's watching from from uh, the wings, and he just you know uh, swings his head and yeah, he just sort of gestures like, "Hey, come on over, come o- come yeah. over and join us." He motions and, him to come on stage. Yeah, yeah, and and Nigel just like runs on stage, and there's like a big cheer, 
yeah. when he gets on stage. And and it is it is kind of touching. You want to see these guys get back together and be happy and make music together. Yeah, I think that's a, that's like one of the biggest things that this movie did. Like in under an hour and a half, they like introduce these characters that not a lot of people know about. And they make you right. care about these characters so much. Like, like right. after you see all the trials and tribulations they go through about, you know, about gigs canceling and pods, right. you know, cocoons not opening and, yeah. you know, of, you know, Stonehenge's being built wrong. Like, you really care about them and you kind of want to see them I mean, succeed. Yeah, because th- there's nothing malicious about them. That You never see them acting out in, like, an asshole rock star way. So they they feel they're just kind of victims of circumstances and their own stupidity. Yes, <laughs> but there's so. there's nothing malicious. You never see any of them really acting like an asshole. Yeah, or yeah. being like you know demanding rock star. The 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 most we have of that is Nigel is complaining that he that his fan, his sandwiches fall apart when <laughs> when he folds them. Um, I can't fold the bread, can I? It's too small. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't see them being like abusive to groupies or or treating roadies like shit or anything like that. And yeah. So you, you do generally like these guys. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so David motions him to come on stage, he runs on stage, they perform, uh their mm-hmm. drummer explodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, 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 now there's they've lost two drummers to spontaneous combustion which is i mean that's that's hilarious yeah and then the final scene is them performing in tokyo with their new drummer joe mama and it seems right. like uh ian their manager is back with them yeah and they're just you yeah. know living out the rock and roll dream it's he, he's taken over again he's got his cricket bat and yes. and genie's uh, then put in her place i guess she's now just the girlfriend once again right um so we see them sort of coming out on top, which which is a nice way to end the movie. On, on a little note of triumph. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, yeah, this. I mean, this film, this music. I mean, I mean, John, yeah. fantastic choice for your. Well, thank you, thank you. I mean, it's it's just one of those movies you always watch, and it's it's always enjoyable. It always makes you feel good. It's, it's a good one to revisit every couple of years. Yeah. And it's a film that gave birth to a whole genre of like mockumentary. Like, like nowadays, whenever you see a mockumentary come out, you do see a lot of people compare. It's like, Oh, that's sort of like spinal tap. Right. Right. Like you right. see that quite a bit. Like, you know, like it's like, yeah. I mean, uh, like Chris Rock, he did his own sort of spinal tap like movie with the uh, CB four. Yes. Absolutely. About a, about a rap group. And I've never seen that. I'm sure we'll get to it someday. It's, o- um, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. I didn't mean to get real here, but yeah, it's like, eh, it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, you look back at this and you just think, would we have the office? Would we have like parks and recreation? If, Spinal Tap hadn't popularized the mockumentary format so much. Yeah, they really kind of did. Like you could also, like I said, like stuff like you know, Kirby Enthusiasm or mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like uh, they, like the fact that they just made a movie where there wasn't any. I don't think there was any like real dialogue or anything written at all. There was more of no. Like I mean, they didn't have a script. They just they just shot a twenty minute short just to, as kind of proof of concept. Yeah, it's and... like a like a loose outline. Yeah, part. yeah, and uh, but it's still like it still works. It's still pretty fantastic, and also you know, and also you know, moves like pop star never stop, never stopping. I remember when that came out, people were like yeah. comparing it to um, uh, this movie, 
and um, mm-hmm. even also like kind of you know fake bands like you know like Tenacious D, I would say, was hugely influenced by this movie. I'd say, uh-huh, like where uh-huh. like it's it it plays it so close to the vest where like you don't know if this is is, is this comedy or just an actual band type of, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, and apparently like when the movie was released, some people took it as a real band because they didn't recognize the actors and they were like, well, why didn't you do a movie about like a better known band or just a better band? <laughs> because these guys aren't very good. And I, I, f- I found an interview with uh, Michael McKean where he was saying that like at one of the early screenings, there, there were a couple women who came out and they were like at the bar or something. And they were just like, Oh, they're just so dumb. <laughs> and, they, and they were taking the movie at face value which i mean i think that's that's i think that's wonderful that they were just able to walk that line where they're they are stupid they are clearly very very stupid but they're not so stupid that they're they become unbelievable because i think it would be less funny that way right exactly they're not like yeah they again they they strike just the right tone of being believable but also letting you know oh no i'm i'm joking this is a this is comedy, but it's just, yeah. it rides that line so finely. And yeah. it's, it's yeah. pretty fantastic. Uh, but yeah, like we said, like when this movie came out, the critics loved it, didn't make a ton of money. It was only a modest hit, but like, you know, later when it came out on VHS, it became a bigger cult following. And in, uh, in 2002, it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. And yes. it um, it was included among American Film Institute's 2000 list of the top 100 funniest mo- 100 funniest American movies. Yeah, that's, I mean, deservedly so. Here, here. It's, I mean, it's it's a wonderful movie. It's that's right. We we, yeah, we it, sing its praises. It, it's pretty great. We sing its praises here. Um, yeah, but yeah, and that's uh, that's our film's final tap. Like guys, like mm-hmm. I. I mean, I'm assuming if anybody is listening to this podcast right now, you're a comedy nerd, and we're not telling yeah. you something you haven't heard before. But like, if no, we're 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 just celebrating Spinal Tap, and I hope that nobody has listened to this podcast before seeing the movie for the first time, because if so, we just completely ruined. The movie. Oh no! I don't... we've given away all the best gags. Uh, uh, spoiler but... alert. <laughs> um. <laughs> So if that is the case, I hope you get hit on the head and suffer amnesia soon. Oh Jesus! <laughs> so you can come to just so you can come to Spinal Tap Fresh because everyone should have that experience. Uh, yeah, let's say that. Oh. Oh, and man. then you get your memory back after that because you exactly get we... in the head again. That's that's how amnesia works, right? I think comes didn't lie to me. Yeah, I mean I'm no doctor, but that sounds right. 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 I, I have not studied. Everyone medicine. knows you get amnesia from one bonk on the head, and then yeah. you get bonked on the head a second time, and then you you it it's all better. Yeah, exactly. You get hit on the head uh, from sitting under a coconut tree, and right makes a coconut noise as you hit, and you forget, and then right. you uh, it comes back to you once you get hit hit in the head once again, just like uh, that Goldie Hawn movie, Overboard. We all know right. that. And then there's some mix up with Mister Furley along the way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or Mr. Roper. I, I'm pretty sure they re-ran. I'm sure they did that twice. Yeah, they, they probably did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why they got John Don Knotts on. They were like, hey, we can recycle all these scripts now. We <laughs> <laughs> just cross out Roper and write in Furley. <laughs> Mr. Furley. 
Oh, there was a big misunderstanding with Mr. Furley. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the sequel. I I've got a good feeling. I I mean, I all I knew before I read that uh, Deadline article this morning was that they were doing a sequel, and I had no idea what the premise was. But Ooh. now that Rob Reiner said what the premise is, I'm like, okay, yes, I'm on board. That sounds good, man. I'm I'm down with it. I can't wait to see what they do. Can't wait to see who they get on this into this movie. Like I imagine they'll yeah. be, of you know, they'll try to get whoever's who was in the original movie. I imagine they'll, maybe they'll get a bunch of Christopher Guest people. That were, yeah. you know, best in show folks and, and whatnot. Uh, I imagine seeing some new improvisers, maybe some SNL folks, maybe some other, you know, improvisers that I'm not even thinking about. Now, do you ever think it's weird that, um, you know, Christopher Guest, he does all these improv movies. And Christopher Guest, he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. And Michael McKean is married to Annette O'Toole. And they're both very talented uh actresses in their own rights i i always think it's weird that they've i don't think they've ever popped up in any of the christopher guest movies maybe they're are they not comfortable improvising or oh. do I'm... they not want to mix personal and professional i don't i i just think it's weird that they're they don't ever show up in those movies um i never thought about it like um maybe maybe they're the thing where they do want to keep their you know their work separate um yeah yeah, I mean, as far as, yeah, maybe the thing where, like, they either both of those actresses maybe aren't that great or not as comfortable improvising. I mean, I know yeah. Jamie Lee hosted SNL back in the 80s. Um, right. She seemed okay on the show, but, like, I don't know how, uh-huh. you know, I don't know how super into it she is or Annette and uh, yeah. Michael McKean's wife. Maybe the same thing. Maybe, like, I'm sure if they wanted to be in the movie, they could just be like, hey, can I? I mean, they're both funny uh comedic performers they're both they're both very funny in their own right so yeah, absolutely or yeah, maybe they just too. yeah maybe they, they just know that there are better stronger and imp, you know improvisers out there and they'd rather those people get a shot than they i, 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 I can't know. say i never i never thought about that that's a good question i don't know it's just just an idle thought that i've had um, Ooh. i'm just like hey why hey what's why, the, why don't we do that what's the big <laughs> idea what's happening here yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to. I'd like to know, but <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Uh, we we also got on our uh, Twitter page. We put out tweets that we're that we're doing this film, and uh, we heard from uh, Decomposition Podcast, our good friends out there, the Decomp Pod. Mm-hmm. Them saying that as a musician, they can confirm that D minor is the saddest of all keys. The joke right. is hilarious because of its accuracy. Any musician will tell you, and I think I've no, well, I have heard that. Like like you mentioned, like a lot of musicians say that there's there is a lot of truth in this movie yeah yeah well it is good to know that d minor is the saddest of all keys i had had no idea till now yeah Mm -hmm. and we should mention i don't think we mentioned spinal tap actually appeared on snl around the time this movie was released they were promoting the movie and barry bostwick interviewed them briefly there's like a five minute segment you can find it on YouTube of oh, right, yes. being interviewed by Barry Boswick. It's kind of weird seeing Spinal Tap with a laugh track or you know a live audience laughing. Yeah, it just seems long somehow, you know. Yeah, it, it, it definitely works better when there's not people laugh. Like, yeah, it is weird. Like when when you hear the laughter, it sounds kind of cheesier. 
it's but... it's breaking the reality of it. Yes, you know. Yes, that's it. So, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I'm just like, no, this we we don't we don't need to hear the laughter in this style of comedy. It's funnier without it. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, but uh, yeah, check that out, guys. It's like a quick five minute clip, but it's pretty mm-hmm. damn hilarious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's the episode, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. Um, I mean, you know, this is Final Tap. My God, it's top tier. Top tier. Go go out and watch top, it right now. I mean, you know, if you put that in your top ten comedies, I would not debate you on that. No, not at all. That's, I mean, it's it's one of the all-time great comedy movies. Absolutely. And, here, here. I mean, and, and, I mean, God bless Rob Reiner, Michael McKean, Christopher Gaston, and Harry Shearer for just giving us the gift of Spinal Tap. Yes, God bless you, sir. We salute you here at the SNL. We SNL-Nab. salute you. For those about to rock, we salute you. Oh, you know what? I just remembered there, there, was, a, there was a funny thing I found in the Live from New York book, The Oral History. I still had it sitting on my desk uh, from... <laughs> An episode we've recorded that hasn't aired yet, but uh, Ooh, okay. <laughs> coming up in episode 200. Mm, um, teaser. Harry Shearer, he talks about Spinal Tap's appearance on SNL. He says, uh, Spinal Tap appeared on the show as a musical guest in spring of 84. We got treated so well. I didn't realize that guests are treated better than the regulars. <laughs> so it was my own stupidity. Smart people do dumb things. So I really thought because we'd been treated pretty well as the guests, hmm, this might be a better situation. Uh, Dick Ebersol basically extended the offer to all three of us. Michael McKean passed. Chris and I accepted. Uh, I knew Marty Short by reputation. He was a friend of Paul Schaefer's, and Paul just raved about him, and I'd seen a little bit of his work on SCTV. We had not been told, I don't think, that Jimmy Belushi was coming back. That came as a surprise. Um, okay. And he, he talks about how like they knew Mary Gross and Julia Louis-Dreyfus were coming back, and he gave them a say in picking up picking a third woman for the slot and they like, they met with Gina Davis. Oh, and he, and he says it boiled down to Andrea Martin and Pamela Stevenson. And, and Marty of course had a number of ties with Andrea Martin and really wanted Andrea there. And I thought uh, after we saw her tapes that Pamela was an incredibly versatile actress and just brought something really different. So we tossed it back and forth and finally Pamela got it to her everlasting dismay. (laughs) So, (laughs) Oh. So yeah, that's interesting. That's that's another sort of thing that makes that Spinal Tap appearance sort of historically significant for SNL is is it led indirectly to or maybe directly to Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer coming on and doing that season of SNL. Oh wow, I did not know so, that. Yeah, huh? That's pretty fantastic. Okay, well, look at look at that. Look at look at me learning things. Huh? Well, well done, sir. So yeah, so that's that's Spinal Tap, folks. Yeah, that's Spinal Tap. Now you know the rest of the story. Now you do. Now you do. We've told you every single thing you need to know about Spinal Tap. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's the episode, guys. And uh, thanks again for listening. As always, please continue to listen. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. You can tell your friends. Tell your, tell your friends. friends. Hey, tell them. There's this cool podcast I'm listening to. You should listen to it too. Yes. That really, does, that really does help us out. And, you know, follow us on the social media. For instance, you could find us, the show page, at SNL Nerds Show. That's, that's where you could follow us if you're so inclined. Yeah. And we got a Patreon too. You can give money to our Patreon as, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to the non-productive network 
uh, website, non-productive.com. Our, our Patreon is there. Give us money, why don't you? And you can f- yeah, yeah, and you get a little bonus content uh, for that. Yeah, that's- and you help uh, keep the show going. You can also follow our individual uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts. I, for instance, am at Trumbull Comic. That's T R U M B U L L and the word comic. And I'm at Darren Credible. That's D A R I N Credible. Twitter and Instagram. And folks, give John uh, a happy birthday tweet if you can. I mean, just show show your love. Show your love. Yeah, okay. You can do that. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out, man. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, give me a follow. That'll be my birthday present. Oh, all right, fine. Give, him a follow. give me a follow. Give the SNL Nerd Show uh, page on Twitter a follow. That, yeah. would, that would be my birthday present. Yes, do I that. Would love to, I would love to see more people following that page. So That would be a dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and so that's it, I guess. That's it. Guess. We're we're just we're just gonna peter out from here on out. That's what we do best. We're just we're just gonna peter out. We're gonna break up acrimoniously, and then apparently we're gonna get back together in forty years and and do another podcast. That's right. That's that's our plan right now. Yeah, John's got a motion for me to get up on stage at the behind the microphone or behind the laptop, and right. I'll be looking off stage, and I'll run up, and people will cheer. Yes, <laughs> as we podcast on stage together, Re- reunite the dream. Reunited once again. Reunited, and it feels so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll be back uh, next week, and we're gonna do something else cool. We, do we want to say what we have? We have we decided? Have we? We kind of discussed it. Uh, do we want to commit to something, or should we leave it up in the air? I'm not committal, John. You know me. I don't. I don't okay. I don't fuck with that. Okay. <laughs> so this will be a cliffhanger. Yes. This will be a cliffhanger. Come back next week. See what we decided on. And until then, nerds out! This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.